Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There's been apparently a rise in like sexlessness. The problem is not that they're overstepping people's boundaries. The problem is that they're not taking any action at all in the first place because they're afraid of, like almost ashamed of their masculinity, ashamed of offending someone. The top 20% of men online are, are getting 80% of the dates. A lot of men aren't doing very well. A lot of people don't know how to present themselves necessarily well online. So you have someone who, who may have a lot of great qualities, but they're, they're putting these pictures um, up on on the internet, you know, it looks like they're living in like a, a dustbin. No one is kind of teaching that stuff to, to young men. Welcome to another episode of Heretics. Today's guest is James Bloodworth, a former Trotskyist and an English journalist and writer who has a substack, jamesbloodworth.com. He's an author with Atlantic Books, and he made a bit of a splash a few years ago now, a couple, yeah, four years ago, with his book, Hired, which I read and absolutely loved because he went undercover in various low-wage jobs in the UK, particularly Amazon. He worked in an Amazon warehouse. He lived with people, mostly immigrants, who were having to work and um, endure the quite disgusting conditions of the warehouses. It's proper sort of old-fashioned left-wing uh, politics and ex exposés and things like that. He's really good with that stuff. Um, but today he is talking about dating apps and how men are having less and less sex and how they're relying on these kinds of dating gurus who give bad advice. We have a big chat about all that is encompassed by the modern dating scene. I thought this was a bit different and a bit interesting. I hope you guys find it interesting. Please do follow James's writing on Substack. It's jamesbloodworth.com and get hold of his, well, his Twitter, his book Hired, and he's done loads of really, really interesting work. So just look up James Bloodworth. Hope you enjoy this episode. Please do share this with friends, get this out there into the world. Heretics is going to be the big podcast of 2024. Let's, let's hope, and I, I need your help to spread it out there. Hope you enjoy this episode with James Bloodworth. Tell me what you were like as a 17 to 23 year old at university with regards to sex. Uh, I didn't go to university till I was 23, but in the years between 17 and 23, I was not in education. I was quite reclusive. Uh, I smoked too much cannabis, stayed in the house a lot, lived in the countryside with my grandmother, had a small circle of friends. And therefore, as you can probably uh, guess from the, from all of those things, my dating life wasn't exactly, um, you know, popping off. It was, uh, I was, I think I, I had a girlfriend at 16 and then spent the next six and a half years single. Okay. Yeah. I had a, 
this I read I read you talking about that time as sort of like a, a, an arid moment for you and I related to that and I actually went I was at university the place where it's supposed to be happening and there was so much pressure then and I think I'm quite like a fun chatty person and I really struggled as well and that brought about a lot of shame as well because you're supposed to be at university meeting loads of women and all these things are supposed to be happening but I had friends who were also going through the same thing so what does that say to you about the young dating scene uh so i mean i think my problem was slightly different to that in that i just didn't leave the house a lot and you know if you don't go out a lot i mean the same thing happens to a lot of people during lockdown your social skills skills kind of atrophy mm. uh just from not using them then when you go out you can make kind of a lot of social faux pas and you don't really know how to behave in a regular situation let alone when you're asking somebody out um i think university i think yeah, you could, I think it can be even worse for you when you go into that environment like a university where you're supposed to be living this certain lifestyle, you're supposed to be experimenting, you're supposed to be kind of sleeping around. And if you don't know how to kind of conduct yourself, um, how to ask somebody out, if you're not very assertive naturally, it doesn't feel like there's really, if you don't have a, a father figure maybe in your life telling you how to, or maybe if you do and they're giving you bad advice, if you don't know how to kind of conduct yourself in that in that way, how to ask somebody out, it can be very difficult and it's made even worse when it feels like everybody else is like having sex all the time, but you aren't. Mm. When you've said before I've um, that a lot of dating advice is written in such a way as to avoid cancellation, what do you mean by that? And also that I think a lot of it's written by um, gay people. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the, so, so I'm writing a book at the moment on the manosphere. And one of the things, one of the kind of early incarnations of the manosphere was the pickup community, which came out of, you know, reached the mainstream with Neil Strauss's book, The Game in 2005. And one of the reasons that emerged, in my opinion, it emerged on internet forums, you know, basic internet forums in the era of like dial-up internet. And one of the reasons it emerged is because I think mainstream dating advice, particularly for men, is, is tends to be very bad or just non-existent. Um, one reason for that is women, the romance has typically been the female realm, you know, it's supposedly. So it's been in the past, the pressure has been on women to find a husband. The pressure has been on women to find a partner. Yet we kind of enter the, the late 20th century, early 21st century, and there's everything's changed now. You know, marriage isn't, isn't necessarily, there isn't that cultural pressure to get married, to get married, which I think arguably is a good thing, especially for women. Um, but at the same time, men ne don't necessarily know how to conduct themselves in the kind of dating environment. So it's uh, unless you, it's, it's kind of you're told like either you're good looking, either you have it or you don't. And if you don't, it's like what what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to kind of uh, meet someone? So I think uh, there's that's one of the reasons why I think the the kind of pickup scene emerged. That like for all its faults, it came out of a vacuum. Um, and I also think a lot of the mainstream dating advice uh, from men, particularly recently, it's it, it doesn't really talk about how to approach someone, for example, say, say you're in a bar or something, how to approach someone in a way that's, uh, you know, respectful, but also assertive, like you have to actually put yourself out there. Mm -hmm. um, it, it tells people almost nowadays to like go on dating apps and it will just happen for you. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really tell you how to present yourself, for example, today on social media. Um, it doesn't how, tell you anything about how to kind of, uh, you know, have good photos, what a good photo looks like, how to create a good bio, and also how not to be kind of too needy. Because mm. one of the issues I think with um, with kind of mainstream dating advice, it's very good on talking about, you know, politically correct dating advice. It's very good, and I think it's correct to talk about how uh, people should be respectful of people, other people's boundaries, how, you know, if you approach someone they're not interested, you know, you should apologize, back off, you know, have a nice evening. You know, that's that. You shouldn't be pushy at all. 
But I think a lot of the people who struggle in this area were like I was, they're not assertive, they're shy. They're not, the problem is not that they're overstepping people's boundaries. The problem is that they're not taking any action at all in the first place because they're afraid of, like almost ashamed of their masculinity, ashamed of offending someone, ashamed of being kind of, uh, afraid of being rejected. Mm. So I think um, yeah, the mainstream dating advice is so, so concerned with kind of, uh, you know, warning people not to overstep people's boundaries that it kind of doesn't cater at all to those people who that isn't, they have a very different problem. Mm. Is, are, are we going too far that way? Is there too much uh, offense and fear? I know that, I mean, I've, I've not been single for a long time now. And if I were, I would be petrified to approach someone partly just because I don't want to be rejected, but partly because I might overstep some modern boundary that maybe wasn't necessarily there 10, 15 years ago. I mean, do people still go up to people in a cafe and say hello, or is that now creepy? No, I mean, I think it's, I don't think it's a bad thing that there are these warnings about, you know, not overstepping someone's boundaries because there are people out there who are, who behave in this entitled way, will go and, you know, ask someone out and the person is interest, in, isn't interested and they'll take this in a very, um, they'll lash out with the person. And I think women often have to be polite to someone who approaches them because they fear that if they, if they say no to someone, if they reject someone, that person will lash out. Um, and I think, yeah, there is there is a tendency if you spend a lot of time on social media where sometimes very shrill activist voices are very loud. I think it can lead you to think, you know, oh, you know, if you approach someone, uh, they might like report you for harassment or something. I think, you know, in the right context, I think that stuff is still going on as it always as it always was. Like if you go out to a bar, if you go out to a club, people are kind of like hitting on someone else or just approaching someone because it's kind of accepting in that environment there is a way to do it and a way not to do it i think um and i feel like a lot of people there again there's a vacuum who no one is saying no one is kind of teaching that stuff to, to young men you know no one is um you know there are there are kind of some charlatans on the internet there's some good and bad advice you can find on platforms like youtube and some of it is some of it is pretty decent but in the mainstream if you're not going out there looking for it mm. there's nothing really there's nothing really teaching like a young man how to do you know the right way and the wrong way to do that. I keep seeing a statistic about one in three young men are sexless. Is that something you've seen? And, and what's going on there? Is that something to worry about? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I know there's been apparently a rise in like sexlessness, particularly among like among men and women, but particularly among men in recent years. Uh, I think you know partly there's kind of I, th I think partly that's that's a consequence of people staying in more, uh, you know, not going out as much. Mm. Uh, people people sometimes I think again what we talked about earlier, your social skills can kind of atrophy if you're not putting yourself out there, if you're spending a lot of time on the cell phone, a lot of time online, I think that could be one factor. I also think dating apps are, are I think this, this, this tendency to kind of compartmentalize different aspects of our lives. So now you're supposed to, you know, if you want to, if you want to find someone to, to date, I think, you know, it's, you're kind of pushed towards, I'll oh, just, just go on a dating app and the barrier for entry is really low. You just get a photo, just put a bio in. And then, you know, you, you have these, these great hopes for, you know, this is going to fix your dating life. You go on there and then, you know, your pictures maybe aren't very good. Your bio is maybe not the, what it should be. And then you get all of these kind of online rejections. And then you get people, young men, particularly just be like, dropping out of, the dating market oh like i'm not going to bother or you know i'm going to wait till i've sorted my finances out wait until i've sorted out these like lifestyle things and then i'll try again whereas i, I actually do think the kind of a more old-fashioned way of actually putting yourself out there joining you know finding a hobby finding people with similar interests to yourself putting yourself in those environments to meet women i think is, is better than than dating apps for a lot of people and I, I also think a lot of us me included um 
a lot of people don't know how to present themselves necessarily well online. So you have someone who who may have a lot of great qualities, but they're they're putting these pictures um, up on on the internet. You know, and it looks like they're living in like a, a dustbin or something. <laughs> it's it's not. Yeah. For someone who knows nothing about you, they they don't know how to put their their best foot forward, if you like, online. And I think that's so important um, nowadays. And it and it sucks in many ways. Like many of us don't want to play that kind of online like status game or whatever. But I think if you're if you're trying, and it seems it seems corny and stuff, but I think if you're actually trying to uh, put yourself out there, I think you need to learn the etiquette of of what works and what doesn't on platforms like like first of all platforms like Tinder or Hinge or or whatever, but also platforms like Instagram as well, where which is also almost a dating app uh, nowadays. Yeah. I, I wondered to what extent it is. I'm just thinking out loud here. Uh, have Were we sold a lie in like the mid-1900s about this is how you have fun? You go out and you drink and you drink until you're blattered and you're out at a club and you can't hear anyone or talk to anyone and there's smoky things everywhere and you wake up feeling terrible and we were told that was that's what fun is but then you speak to people and everyone's like well I don't I don't know if I actually had fun and people are st- I don't know people are drinking less now aren't they and maybe maybe there are other things to life yeah I mean 19, 1990s right not 1900s uh, I, mean, yes. I, I don't know that far. I can't remember that far back but well uh, I'm thinking back to like starting with Gatsby and then, yeah. and then sort of the big like we're having a big party yeah yeah everyone's having fun and people are like you know I quite like sitting at home with a hot chocolate and playing a computer game yeah I mean I also think it's like I, I spent some time going out like actually leaving the house over Christmas because uh, oh. you know catch up with old friends and uh, I think the cost of living has got something to do with it at the moment because you know you can go to like Aldi and buy a, a good bottle of wine for like nine pounds or something. Then you go out to the pub and it's like fourteen quid for two for two drinks. Uh, and it's I think it's that that's kind of part of it. It's it's the the cost of living and how expensive it is to actually go out nowadays. Mm. And yeah, I think you have an entertainment system at home. I think COVID changed a lot of this. So I find it's much harder to get some people to come out now since COVID because they've got into these habits where it's like staying in all the time. Um, you know they've got these subscriptions they they got out during during covid um and i just think people do actually go out less you see this with um like retailers are struggling like nightlife is struggling like even post covid i think people got more during lockdowns people got in this habit of staying in a lot more mm. doing things online swiping a lot more instead of actually going out and i th- I, I think with the dating partic- in particular um it just is it just does feel easier to uh log on you know set up a dating app profile and swiping whereas i think like approaching someone in person to meet them is uh is difficult you know like it it just is it is like nerve-wracking it doesn't always go well and it's i think i I think it takes takes like practice to actually be able to do that and and the only people who've advocated that in the past have been kind of quite sleazy like pickup artists so that's true, yeah. I'm sort of adding, I know it's quite a, um, a stereotypical thing for someone who's getting a bit older to do. I'm sort of adding things that we should have learned at school to <laughs> the agenda. So taxes, posture, um, and, and I suppose that's that's one now as well, like how to talk and approach, how to talk to and approach women in a way that isn't sleazy and trying to get numbers and things, but just, you know, in, in a respectful way that is also confident and that kind of thing. Um, I think alcohol must have something to do with it as well. I, mm-hmm. I knew a guy who ran a swingers bar in Canada and then he set up a second one in Buenos Aires where they don't drink as much and he just struggled because no people, one's approaching yeah because people in Argentina don't have the same binge drinking culture we have in like Canada, America the UK, Australia you know we really binge drink and in Buenos Aires they sit with like a bottle of wine and they basically sit there 
like for hours and they haven't finished the wine yet and he's like watching them like come on come on and it's like not getting them going they won't get frisky or anything like that so maybe alcohol has something to do with it yeah sure mm. sure like social lubrication social lubrication yeah i like that um the beauty bias right i'm wondering um and actually not beauty bias why is it that i'm always hearing that it's harder for men than women with dating because in my head, I'm just thinking, okay, well, it's one and one. So, like, if, if it's like, for example, you said before, it's harder for men at the moment getting sex. So, how is that happening? There's the same amount of women as men. What's going on? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say it's harder for men. I think it's different for men and women. Yeah. Like, it's it's harder in some ways for women and harder in some ways for men. So, I think women, you know, there's there's that Chris Rocker scene, yeah, that joke about women just leaving the house and just being bombarded with this deluge of, like, dick. Yeah. And it's... it's <laughs> I think women like tend to have to fend off creepers and there are much there are many more concerns about their safety and you know, even going on a date with someone it's like he, they have to you know ask their friend you know uh, you know I'll text you when I when I get home and stuff and whereas as a guy you don't that's not something you really worry about as much so I think women you know have to take a lot more care in vetting who they go out with vetting who they you know, bring back to their house, vetting who they even give their personal details to, their phone yeah. number to. Because if sometimes, you know, if they decide they don't like that person, that guy is then going to be blowing up their phone for the next you know, month or, or more. It's like this, this is um, like, this is, this is harder for women. But then for men, I think it's, um, you know, it's, it can be just harder to, to even be noticed at all. So, I mean, whereas women are kind of fend, can be fending off like creepy, creepy guys and stuff with, with men, I think, especially on social media, unless you have like status unless you're you know exactly how to present yourself online unless you're like good looking uh, stereotypically good looking conventionally attractive it can be very hard to be noticed at all you're just one of this kind of it just feels like you, you look on the comments of any any attractive woman's social media and there's just just this deluge of of men writing about the, the, yeah yeah the smiley faces and stuff and I think kind of knowing how to navigate that can be very confusing for young men especially because so much of that goes on uh, online now and I think also the onus is on men to approach in real life as well so there was a there was a study I think uh, a survey which I think was reported by the Guardian it was I can't remember the exact figure but it's around 8 out of 10 women still expect a man to make the first move in terms of approaching or asking them out so there is still that it is still down to men to kind of take the risk to, to put themselves out there to, to make the first move and I think that that goes right through the process. So, so men are expected typically, uh, again, it's not always true, but but typically men are expected to, to ask someone out. Men are expected to kind of, to make the first move in terms mm. of suggesting, you know, where, where you go on a date. Men are expected to make the first move in, in whether you whether you go home together or whether you have a second date. Do you think that's um, biological or, or societal? Uh, I'd imagine like anything is both. I imagine like anything is both. I mean, it's again with 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 the element of risks that's involved for for women in these kind of situations often i think it, it makes it does make sense for for men to be the ones who kind of are expected to move things forward um and i also think you know women take longer to inv to evaluate a, a man in terms of whether he's like a suitable dating mm -hmm. prospect i think and weigh up a lot more different factors where i think men tend to be a bit more shallow um, and there, there probably are, I mean, I don't know, I'm not an expert on this, but there probably are some like evolutionary reasons for this because there's more risk involved for a woman in getting pregnant with the wrong person, you know? Oh yeah, that's a great point. What is the 80-20 bias I'm always hearing about? Uh, it's, it's, it's essentially the, the, this is the theory anyway, that the, the, the top 20% of men online are, are getting 80% of the dates. Okay. Basically. So, so you have like 80% of women chasing the 20% of men, uh, online. The thing with this is it's, 
it tends to be true on like a dating app like Tinder, where where it's very superficial, where it's all about the photo. There's not even much much of it it's done on on the bios people write. It's almost all done on photo. So if you look on Tinder, I think OkCupid had some stats like this as well. Um, it does show that a very small percentage of men are doing very well, but but apart from that, a lot of men aren't doing very well. Mm -hmm. I think one thing that I've noticed recently is some people are transposing this onto real life. Whereas I think in real life, it's a lot more complicated. You uh, you do have a, like most sex still happens within monogamous relationships. Um, there's, there's, you know, there isn't this big kind of sense of inequality where it's just like a small bunch of men like Dan Balzerian with these kind of supposed harems. But online, this is why I say to, 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 anyone who asks me about this, like particularly young men, is like, you should actually try and date in the real world. Because unless you're presenting yourself in this very particular way on an app like Tinder, it's, it's just going to be very hard for you. Yeah. Hey, it's Andrew. If you're enjoying Heretics, there's another podcast I want to recommend to you, especially if climate change, global conflicts and an upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and executive director Emma Varvalukas. On What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the answers, but on What Could Go Right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Fareed Zakaria, and economist Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that, private. What's changed? the internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched or tweeted. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Did you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell your data? The worst part is they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to or get your consent. One of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, my connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server and my IP address is masked. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it more difficult for third parties to identify me and harvest my data. And the best part is how easy ExpressVPN is to use. No matter what device you're on, phone, laptop or smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button to get protected. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com slash heretics and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash heretics. Go to expressvpn.com slash heretics to learn more. I never, when I, I mean, it's been 10 years since I've used it, but I, I never got dates or anything from it. I never felt, and you know, we're pretty, you know, we're presentable young men. Did you ever feel like you were in that sort of top 20%? 
Uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I met my girlfriend on on Hinge, mm. so um, my profile was obviously okay. But I, at the same time, I did spend quite a lot of time uh, speaking to people who had better profiles than me, asking what they did. I got good photos taken. Mm. I had good photos from the things I did with work, you know, public speaking, things like that. Oh, um, professional. So, yeah, I mean, so, it, so it, it does kind of convey the right things. It, like, eventually, I did get to a place where it was actually quite good. Um, but it, but you do have to kind of work on this stuff. And I think that's an area where, again, I think women know that they have to work on this stuff. They know that they have to get decent photos. They know that they have to, to, to present themselves well. Where I think as men, we, we haven't for a long time because it's been, you know, for a long time, we kind of, that wasn't how we found a partner historically. Mm. Um, whereas I think the men who do really well on dating apps, who do really well on meeting people through Instagram, they they don't they aren't always necessarily the the best good the most good looking people or the most high status people but they know how to present themselves very well online and yeah sometimes that can stray over into fakery um, yes. which I wouldn't endorse that but but there is a way to present yourself which is better than um, what a lot of people are doing I mean I've had friends who showed me their dating app profiles because they're like oh, I'm not getting any matches and it's like there's no, they, there's nothing wrong with them and then they'll show me and it's like these these photos are, are terrible mm. it's like you you could just spend a bit of money getting some professionals photos taken or you could you know when you go out get someone to opportunistically just take a photo while you're having a good time with friends or something um, but you have to actually think about it and invest in it a little bit and it, you can't just like throw up anything and just be like oh you know I'm not getting any, not getting any uh, matches and, you know, woe is me. And you have to actually, I mean, that's where I agree with something I heard Jordan Peterson say a, a mm. while ago. Like I, I, there's a lot of things I disagree with him about, but he's said before, you know, you need to actually look at yourself and say, am I, am I, what I'm presenting to the world, is it actually, you know, is it a good offer, you know, or, mm. or is, um, or am I doing something wrong instead of blaming like other people? Whenever someone mentions Jordan Peterson on the podcast, I have to ask if you can do an impression. No, I can't. Especially you can't. not this time of the day. No, no. <laughs> Make no. your bed. Bloody. No, I can't. Maybe I'll think on it and maybe try later, but I can't yeah. at the moment. No. Make your bed, buckle. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, well, he says to level up. And, and this isn't that. Jordan Peterson's really interesting. Of course, he's a really controversial figure, but I've had so many people who don't know who he is and don't know what he said um, just automatically dislike him and automatically go, oh, he must be some far right, whatever, whatever. But on psychology rather than politics, my experience of listening to him is that he's actually telling these young men to sort of level up uh, rather than like, oh, you're owed something by women, which maybe an Andrew Tate might be telling mm -hmm. women. Do you, do you find that? Yeah, so I mean- or Telling uh, men, sorry. Yeah, so I mean, Jordan Peterson, again, I have many disagree disagreements with him politically. I think he's gone in a bit of a weird direction as well, gone slightly conspiratorial recently. Mm. Um, in, in terms of politics, I mean, talking about communists and stuff all the time, but his some of his self-help advice in terms of, you know, I, I remember watching him on one occasion say, you know, to an audience of men who are kind of frustrated with the, the kind of dating environment, him saying to them, you know, are you really the hidden gem you think you are? Or could you perhaps, instead of blaming women, could you perhaps look at yourself and say, you know, could I improve in this area? You know, could you be going to the gym? Could you be, you know, working on your dress sense more? Could you be working on your confidence, your social skills, your sense of humor? These are all things that you can work on. So I think I, I, I profoundly disagree with this idea that um, it, it, the dating like environment is necessarily just rigged against certain people. Yes, there's a small number of people who, um, yeah, there's, I mean, the incel community, there's a small number of people in that community who struggle with kind of physical issues um, where it can be much harder for them in, in 
yes, you have people with severe disabilities with autism. Of course, it's going to be much harder for them. And I, they do, those people do have my sympathy. Mm -hmm. But then you do have a lot of other people who are fairly normal looking, who could just do a few things like go to the gym, get better clothes, um, you know, work on their financial situation so they can, like, they have a better lifestyle, uh, present themselves better on social media. And they're not doing any, like, do all of those things and then come back to me and say, you know, oh, it's, it's terrible. You know, women are, uh, women are terrible and it's all women's fault. Then, we can have a conversation, but I, I, almost all of those people are not doing any of those things, and then they're, they're blaming women for their own like mm. lack of success. It makes me think of the growth mindset versus fixed mindset. Do you know about the the concept? I think it was Carol vaguely. Carol, yeah, someone will correct vaguely. me in the comments. Carol, I want to say Carol Dweck. Caroline Dweck, I don't know. But it's something I've been trying to apply to my own life a little bit. Um, I've noticed it in myself, like we all have elements of fixed mindset and growth mindset. And the fixed mindset is when you're looking at something often and going like, well, I, I think you're subconsciously sometimes telling yourself that you couldn't do it. And then because of that, you disparage the whole thing. So I'm, th I'm trying to think of things yeah. like, like fashion. I've never been good at fashion. I don't know anything about fashion. So I've always decided, well, it's such a superficial, stupid thing anyway. And I'm trying to really analyze that. Like, is the reason I don't like it because I know I'm not good at it and I don't understand Stand it. Um, and I think that can sometimes be the case. I think what you're saying is maybe uh, some of these people ha can have a growth mindset, which I think Jordan Peterson really encourages, which is like, hey, these women, you know, they don't, they don't have to have you. They don't have to accept you. You've got to make it so that you're better, a better option for them. Like you say, go to the gym, work out, get into that rather than having the fixed mindset of like, oh, I don't want to do it. And, and they're all terrible anyway. Yeah, and I think if I look back at the the kind of my time in my late teens, early twenties, when I didn't have any success in this area, didn't didn't I find it very hard to like meet people? Mm. Um, I think I also had a bigger a bigger ego about this stuff then, so mm. I felt like you know, oh, people should just accept me for who I am, even though I had these very high standards for for other people. So even though I had these very high standards in terms of who I'd be friends with, or I was very judgmental. Um, had highest high standards, I think, in terms of who I would, who I thought was a you know girlfriend material. Yet I didn't really look at myself. You know, I thought, oh, people should just accept me for who I am. Yeah. And this this is kind of hypocritical, isn't it? Is like you have to think you have to be honest about yourself, and you can't have an ego about uh, rejection. And it's very difficult. Like it it took me a long time to kind of get to that place. So, you know if you have this big ego around being rejected, so you have this kind of inflated idea of yourself, you're never going to go and approach someone or you're never going to try, going to try and meet someone because, you know, you, you don't want that, that diff, that like ego of yourself, that, that kind of idea you've created of yourself to be deflated. Because if you actually put yourself out there, you're, you're then subjecting yourself to kind of real life, you know, you, it's, a, it's a real life experiment almost. You're going to, you get that are you actually who you think you are are you actually the shit like you, you, <laughs> you in your own head you're you may think you're the, you're, you're the, the shit but if you put yourself out there you risk that kind of entire edifice kind of collapsing yeah um whereas i think real self-confidence comes from putting yourself out there yes you'll get rejections but then gradually improving and over time you know people gen people start you kind of find that people can genuinely start to like you because you're not going in with that kind of ego. You're not going in with that sense that you need them to like you. Mm -hmm. And paradoxically, I think that that makes people more likely to like you when, like if you feel like this kind of value leech, like every interaction you're going into, it feels like um, the other person gets this sense that you need it to work. You need something from them. You need them mm -hmm. to like you. I think, you know, that it's kind of like this weird energy. Yeah. Whereas if you get into this more relaxed space where it doesn't really matter to you, you know who you are, 
you know your value system, you know that you're doing the right things in life. And then you go try and talk to someone you, or you put yourself out there. I think people feel that energy a bit more and it's just like, oh, like this person, who's this person? You know, this, they, they're not, they don't want anything from me. It doesn't feel like there's a downside to kind of talking with you. That's a really interesting point, actually, because I, I know like if somebody wants to sell me something, I'm immediately pushing away. Mm. And as you say, like women are getting constantly sold this and they don't want to feel like they're being sold to. <clears throat> if I think back to when I was younger, where I was going wrong as well, I think I, I really wanted a girlfriend rather than sex or whatever. And I think that probably came across as needy even though I didn't mean for that. Whereas the guys who were out for one night stands probably had a bit of an, you know, it was nonchalance, that kind yeah. of nonchalance. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think this is, the, this is a misconception, I think about a lot of these younger men who struggle in this area is this idea that they're only doing this because they're, they're horny and just want to have sex. And it's like, yeah, there is a part of that as, as an adolescent male, but same with me, I, I was just lonely and wanted a girlfriend and yeah. people, yeah. but people feel that off of you. Yeah. Whereas when you do start to have, when you do start to do a bit better, when you start to get some dates and stuff, you do become a bit more nonchalant. You don't need it to work. And again, paradoxically, things tend to go better then because you're not giving off those kind of needy, needy kind of clingy vibes, which is you know a very unattractive thing. I think to both to both sexes. Yeah, I read a short story by a writer called Ted Chang recently, where they are able to inject people's brains or whatever, like turn off the receptor that sees beauty to get rid of uh, beauty bias and those kinds of things. And they did it in certain schools, like the high schools you're growing up. And these people didn't know if they were good looking or if their friends were good looking or anything. And you can, when they got to like 18, they had the choice if they wanted to turn it off and some did. And it was a fascinating idea. Um, do you think that would be good for society or bad for society? Yeah, I mean, it sounds kind of black mirror like. Mm. No, that's that's fascinating. I think um, I, th I think the, the phrase kind of unplugging from the matrix has become a bit, um, there's like negative connotations to it now because someone like Andrew Tate uses the matrix a lot. But I yeah. think um, unplugging from social media a bit, like if you spend a lot of time on platforms like Instagram or again, dating apps, I think you can kind of absorb this idea that everything is about materialism. Everything's about these superficial things. Like you have to look a certain way to meet somebody. Uh, you have to have this certain lifestyle like the Bugattis or present this certain lifestyle on social media to, to meet someone. Otherwise, women are just not going to be interested in you. And it's just these 10% these of uh, men, you know, clearing up and with these harems and stuff. I think you unplug from that, put yourself out there. Uh, and it doesn't have to be like bars and clubs. I, I, I use bars and clubs as, as, an, as an example because I think it's... Uh, it's a, that was where I started to work on my social skills when I was younger because there's a lot of people there. Uh, there's a lot of people to, to talk to. They won't remember you um, if, it, if it doesn't go well. If you get rejected, it doesn't matter. No one's going to remember. There are no social repercussions, really. Yeah. Um, as long as you behave you know, respectfully, there's no real social repercussions. Uh, you go, you, and I had like a thing where I'd be like, right, I'm going to go and like try and meet like five new people tonight. I'd go out with a friend. We both like didn't like, I hated nightclubs. I hated those kind of places. Felt like I wasn't cool enough to be there. Um, but it, but over time, you kind of become acclimatized to those places. You don't feel like this this weird outsider, um, and your social skills do begin to slowly improve. You realize that it's not necessarily about you know what you look like. It's not necessarily about you know, how much money you've got. It's it's about the kind of vibe. It's, that's kind of a woo woo term, but it's a kind of about the kind of energy that you have when you're out there, the vibe you have. And I think. Um, like that, I I think kind of once you get in the real world a bit more and get away from this kind of superficial presentation, like aspect of 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 this stuff. So everything, everyone on 
Or if you spend a lot of time on Instagram, it feels like everyone's having more sex than you. Everyone's have, living this more kind of luxurious lifestyle than you. That a lot of those people are hiring out these these uh, Lambos and yeah. Bugattis and getting photos next to them. And a lot of this stuff is just just there's so much fakery involved. And then when you actually put yourself out there, you realize actually that stuff is kind of it's not that's not really how the world works. It's 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 the old fashioned ways are still you know mm. the biological th imperatives are still kind of there. You just have to put yourself out there, and you see that it's it's not always about these superficial things. Do you think it matters if we are having less sex in general? I know population decline might be a uh, collapse as an issue. But. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think long term it, it clearly does matter if people are having a less having less children. But I think there there is there are so many different factors for that. So I mean, in in the UK at the moment, I think one reason friends of mine are having fewer children in my age group. So I'm 41. Hmm. Um, millennials, like I'm an older millennial, I suppose. But a lot of people in my age group, it feels like uh, having fewer children because the cost of living. So it's hard to find somewhere stable to live. A lot of them are renting. Um, a lot of them are having to commute a long time to, to the uh, long distances to the places they work. Um, and, it, and it feels like people are putting that on hold till kind of the economic situation perhaps improves a bit. Um, I think also just, yeah, children are hard work, I assume. I mean, I have a cat and that's hard work. So, yeah, um, yeah I think it's um, children are hard work. I think maybe we can be a bit more selfish in that respect nowadays, a bit more kind of solipsistic. So it's a bit more kind of, we think about our own, like a, a bit more narcissistic, fulfilling our own goals, ambitions, and... Um, whereas I think, say, my grandparents' generation, it's a bit more like you, you, you take, you have a child, and then to some extent you live vicariously through the child, like to, in, to some aspect. I think there can be negative connotations to that as well, but I think we've kind of gone in a kind of different direction, and and now it's about it's more about the self, mm -hmm. and people, a lot of people don't want to sacrifice any of that to be to be a parent. It's all about self optimization and just pursuing your own kind of ambitions. I'd argue that to an extent, uh, both of those options, you know, having children and going about yourself are both selfish endeavors to an extent, like they're both uh, aspects of the status game. And as you said, living vicariously through your children. Uh, I, don't, I don't know, I've, tend to, I've noticed that with some friends of mine, those who are really ambitious and probably get their status from like, look how good my job is or my sport that I play or whatever it might be, are delaying having children. Whereas a lot of people who seem to be um, maybe less concerned with that aspect of status, jobs and sports and things, have children a little younger and then their status, their Instagram photos and how they're known as like a mother. I am now a mother as opposed to the like maybe the woman I knew who was 18 and was excited to be embarking upon a marketing career or whatever. Uh, now their their role is mother and they're just as excited as someone else might be in another sort of status game. So maybe that's part of it. Yeah, I mean, I think there's this kind of there's there's pros and cons of both because because you can have yeah people who have children then live vicariously through their children and that can be a very high pressure environment for the children because they feel like they've got certain uh, mm -hmm. things that certain standards to live up to. Um, but it, again, I, I suppose at the moment it's it's like for 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 me and for I mean I would would like to have children at some point, but for me and like again a lot of people my age and younger it's. It, it, that that story of why you should have children isn't as strong as it perhaps was in the past because in the past it was something you kind of just did it was there was like a process yeah you 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 kind of you finish school you get a, a certain type of job often um and then you get married and you have children and that kind of story is is broken down a lot in various aspects so even the kind of stable job idea of the 20th, 20th century i wrote a lot about that in my last book hired the idea of a lot of these commu working class communities have 
broken down because that old structure that old structure you know you get a you get an industrial job you join a trade union uh you get married you have a family you can get a house relatively uh cheaply either to rent or to usually to buy you put down roots and then you kind of the idea is you do this generation after generation um that obviously didn't last i mean capitalism has kind of uprooted those communities and it's also uprooted the kind of the cultural realm as well so you have like dating apps now where you don't have to uh, and again, you don't have to settle down with the first person you meet and and many of those changes are good i think like there are whether when you don't want to romanticize the past overly yeah um but it also brings fresh challenges i think it's to you don't want to romanticize the present and technology and progress either you you have to see that this brings new challenges and one of those is um you know populations are declining the birth rates declining and and you look at a country like japan which has had this issue for for several decades now and that's led to like economic stagnation and you know it's there are a whole bunch of challenges that come with that as well yeah it's so hard isn't it because it's like we've got to weigh up individual liberty like go and do what you want with like well yeah but your individual experience is not going to be good if the whole collective is suffering because we're not having enough children so then bring kids into the world that you don't want to bring into the world i mean it's such a difficult conundrum um what about have you given any thoughts to sort of the future? I mean, we, I guess, I don't know if anyone would have seen dating apps as they are coming decades ago. What might happen as we go decades into the future? What is the latest now on dating? Because I'm a bit behind. Yeah, I mean, so so there, there, were, there was a dating app that was developed and quickly kind of that plan was aborted. It was to match people according to like their DNA samples. So a bit oh. like... A bit like Ancestry, the website Ancestry yeah. or 23andMe, I think. My Heritage. Well. Yeah, those websites, um, you know, like I've done this with Ancestry. I've sent my DNA and it tells you where, where your family's from and originally and all this stuff. And you, they were, they were, they were, there was a company that, that kind of was promoting that for dating. So you'd match someone who was genetically, um, I can't remember what it was exactly, but it was, they got accused of, of, of eugenics, of basically promoting <laughs> eugenics. Because yeah. matching people in terms of the, it's, it's quite a black mirror-ish yeah. uh, type scenario. So, I mean, I, I do think that will be something like that will be tweaked and, and re-released. Um, but again, I just think it's, um, to me, that's a bit creepy. That's, that is, again, in the realm of like black mirror and again, I still don't really believe in that kind of matchmaking because I think you can have dating, which is, you know, formulated like a catalog where you're scrolling through the catalog and you pick someone who's like on paper is the best match for you. Mm. But then you meet them in person and there's just something about their vibe or there's just something completely off and you just feel no chemistry for them. Because I, because I think with this, you know, with, with, with dating, it's, there's, there are all these variables you can't even see almost. So... I mean, Mia Leverton, a, a journalist, she wrote a book on, she went on like a hundred odd dates from Tinder and then wrote a book about it. And she she found that, you know, a lot of the people she um, had had previously dated in real life, she would have not swiped um, if she, she would have swiped, uh, I can't remember left or right, but yeah. she would have rejected them online. Left. Swipe right. That's like the good one. So swipe she would have swiped left for them yeah. because they didn't necessarily have the characteristics on paper that she would have been attracted to. But then when you meet someone in real life, you can just be you can just find them attractive, and you know they may you may not have the same things in common. You may not mm. do the same job. You may you may it can be lots of different things, but you may not they may not be your type in terms of you know the color hair they have or something. But you can be very attracted to them, and I think it's very hard to kind of formalize dating so much. 
uh, that it's like this catalog thing because you can just meet someone and then have this chemistry. Mm. Eugenics gets a bad rap, right? But what a thing to say. <laughs> well, it killed like loads of my ancestors. I think I think Jewish people are allowed to talk about eugenics. No, I don't know. But I do wonder if the Nazis hadn't sort of been the ones uh, that we ne- we now know as the people doing it. Would we now be looking more at that? Are we, is it sort of like a taboo topic? Because maybe there is some science behind like, hey, you can date people based on your DNA, like you say. Maybe, maybe that is actually relevant, but nobody would dare go there. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I mean, no, I mean, it kind of had a bad rap. I mean, the Nazis, yeah, of course, gave it the, the uh, very bad rap. But I mean, there were people talking, like the Fabians, for example. There were people in the Fabians talking about eugenics uh, prior to, you know, in the in the 20s and 30s. There's there's a book called um, The Intellectuals and the Masses. Um, and it's about intellectuals in the 20s and 30s, the early 20th century, who um, a lot of them did support eugenics. And a lot of that stuff strayed into, we need to use poison gas against the lesser breeds, whether that was sh- whether that was the, the working class, whether that was uh, people in the colonies. Sure. Um, so there is kind of this this idea of kind of of genetic superiority is is an idea which lends itself to persecuting or trying to weed out uh people who are supposedly like lesser breeds and and you know this there is a kind of direct pathway from that to to the kind of some of the genocides we saw in the 20th century yeah you can't Um, have that but 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 there is kind of there is there is utility to using genetic testing for for example i have um uh, I have this, I'm a carrier of a gene where if I have a kid with someone else with the same gene, there's a 25% chance that the kid would be severely anemic. Is that right? So yeah, it's, 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 it's basically a gene that's common in the Mediterranean and it gives, it's just, all it does to me is my blood, my red blood cells are slightly different shape, but it makes no practical difference. But if I had a kid with someone with the same, with the same, who carried mm-hmm. the same, uh, I can't remember the name of it now, it's very long carried the same condition they would uh yeah 25 percent chance of a kid with severe anemia so I, I do think in that sense genetic testing can be very useful but it's it's a kind of weird premise to use to like am i going to be attracted to that person mm-hmm. um it's too um Wait, is it, that it, it, yeah and it, mm-hmm. it completely demystifies all that's good about romance and love and stuff i mean do does who wants to just have a kid with someone who maybe maybe they'd have very healthy genetic offspring but maybe they would just not find that person attractive maybe they would not be a very good match at all maybe they'd it'd be hellish spending time in that person's company do we really want to reduce love Ooh. and romance to 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 just that mechanical but, process but that's if you use eugenics to see uh how you'd have the best offspring but what if you used it now i sound like a proponent of eugenics i'm just <laughs> saying what if you use people's dna to to find who would be your ideal match because there's a, obviously the, the old idea of the soulmate, but presumably of the 7 billion people on, on the earth, it's very unlikely that you've met the best possible match for you in terms of both attraction, offspring, getting on with one another, just having a nice relationship. Uh, and, and if there was some way, and I suppose obviously DNA is not going to be enough to tell you about that, but it's just a, it's a nice thought. That's what they did in that Black Mirror episode. Yeah, although I, I would say, yeah, that's right, actually. I remember that was a good one. Um, I think it would be impossible, really, because I think 
a lot so many of the variables that make someone attractive to you they can't even be learned behaviors so yeah. i mean if you look at like personal development it can be about cultivating certain qualities which i believe you can do so you can you can make you can become more assertive yeah um i learned that myself i was as a as a kid and teenager i was an incredibly shy person but i basically learned how to become more assertive again it didn't come it's, i wouldn't say it's necessarily something that comes naturally to me but i i definitely feel you can learn how to do that mm. and someone might find that attractive but it's again it's your genetics maybe aren't going to tell you anything about that because you're not predisposed to being like the most extroverted person in the room but it's something you've kind of worked on yeah. so i mean i'm not sure that you you would necessarily get the best match is what i would say about that the book was not the bell jar by sylvia plath it was the bell curve uh, and was that uh, the authors argue human int intelligence is substantially influenced by both inherited and environmental factors, and that is a better predictor of many personal outcomes, including financial income and job performance. But I think that was sort of vaguely debunked as well. That that book. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's my position is like nature and nurture. I mean, there's yeah, there's clearly stuff um, we're predisposed to, um, especially as especially with with kind of so something like writing for example is is i have people in my family who um writers you know is it seems a bit of a coincidence that i'm that was the one thing i was good at in in school mm. and i was t i was not good at like maths and stuff um but then also if you're not in an environment where you can bring that out it, it doesn't come out does it if, mm. if i'd had a very different childhood then i maybe wouldn't have been able to go to college and university to even pursue that so it's environment and uh, nature i'd say yeah you'd have to find like if you had been adopted and then oh my biological parents it turns out had been writers as well that would be really interesting to know yeah and it's so i have a kind of weird experiment in that i have three siblings from a different father to me mm. and we had kind of mostly the same like upbringing um but then i'm very different from them in, in lots of ways so you can kind of see that it's there's an aspect of 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 biological not determinism but biological influence there mm. um but then in other ways we do share certain values i feel that we've got from from relatives that have kind of been instilled in us you've been writing this book about the manosphere what are some of the key well, what surprised you writing about it? has anything surprised you um yeah i mean there's lots of stuff has surprised me i mean uh, I'm just trying because it, it's such a it's such a big subject uh, in many ways. I think what well, um, is the manosphere for those who don't know? Because some people won't know what the manosphere is. Yeah, so the manosphere is kind of a online. It starts online community. It's not just online communities, but it's it's an online kind of anti-feminist space mm. um, that goes from what started out as fairly apolitical. So you had like pickup artists, and then and goes all the way to like the red pill movement, and even like like bleeds into like MAGA and. Um, the, you have like nowadays like incels um it, it's it, and men going their own way it's, it's kind of an anti-feminist movement that's um concerned with men's issues um and adopts this kind of very um stereotypically stereotypical view of, of the gender binary so it's kind of a hyper masculine uh hyper masculinist uh movement that thinks you know men should be like real men and women should be like more feminine and i mean that's kind of the the gist of it at its most subtle is that what we were talking about before with jordan peterson and telling men like hey come on pull your socks up and women don't necessarily uh have to go out with you unless unless you're a good enough mate kind of thing uh can it be a force for good is what i mean yeah i mean i jordan peterson i'd call more like manosphere adjacent i feel like yeah. it's i mean again as much as i have my issues with some of the things he he talks about i think it would be unfair to him to, to call him like a manosphere strictly manosphere yeah i mean it, i think it's 
I, I wouldn't say he's he's as extreme as a lot of people in the manosphere. I mean, I wouldn't really compare Jordan Peterson to someone like Andrew Tate. Okay. Um, I think Jordan Peterson is a traditional, fairly traditional conservative. I feel like it would be a bit unfair to him to to bracket him with people who say that women shouldn't have the vote. And I think I I don't I've, I've, unless I mean I, someone may correct me, but I've never heard him saying anything like this. I mean, when he talks about uh, culturally enforced monogamy, that was again to be fair to him. Like I think that I believe in women's liberation, but I think he was kind of wildly misinterpreted when he talked about marriage as the culture kind of encouraging people to get married, encouraging people to form these stable family units. He wasn't talking about the law forcing people to get married. I think that's, you know, that would make him a manosphere figure, but I don't think he's uh, he's he's really straight into that territory. Interesting. And then, so like we've both been on uh, Chris Williamson's Modern Wisdom, uh, and I think some people have suggested, oh, that's sort of a manosphere podcast, but I think he's didn't move to deny that. So, yeah. So manosphere would, would be a, a much more extreme pejorative and less helpful kind of idea yeah no i i think like like chris williamson i think he's he's more of a self-help it's more men's self-help but it's 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 more self-help i, I wouldn't call him him manosphere at all it's a, a lot of the red pill stuff it's almost a postmodern movement um a lot of those people will disregard data and mm. evidence that doesn't uh that, that contradicts what they believe and will kind of it's quite pseudoscience-y as well um, I think the manosphere does tend to be more extreme. It does tend to have a much more uh, simplistic view of male-female relations. And at the extreme end, it wants to remove basic civil rights from from women. And I don't think, uh, I, I think it would be really unfair of me to, to bracket people who are just in the men's kind of self-help movement to um, bracket them with people like that. Mm. Do you think, so there is a space for sort of men's self, uh, self-help. Is that quite necessary in today's world? Yeah, no, absolutely. And and I think um, Richard Reeves, for example, the academic wrote a really good book uh, on when areas in society where men are falling behind. So for example, university education, there's far fewer men go to university now than, than, than women go to university and that gap is getting bigger. Um, you have, you know, male suicide is, is, a, is far more men commit suicide than, than women. And you also have, you know, I had, I've had an issue before where I had a woman who stalked me mm. and stalking happens to women a lot more than men, but it also happens to men. And it does feel like, I think sometimes that there are certain conversations around like domestic violence or stalking, um, or, you know, basically issues of equality where men are falling behind or where men don't get any attention for their issues. Um, because what, it's what happened. A, Sorry. Well, well, yeah. Tell us about that. Oh no, it was just, it was just some, someone who spent kind of, um, sorry, it was about two years just kind of, um, pursuing me online. Um, it was, I'd met them in real life, but they, it, it got very extreme. So they're using kind of fake, fake, oh. uh, emails, female email addresses, pretending to be me. Uh, social media accounts purporting to be me contacting employers um, spreading kind of malicious like malicious made up rumors contacting like my girlfriend contacting her family it's just it was just this deluge of like craziness basically had you spurned her advances was that what started it yeah it was someone who I'd I'd like got together with uh, like three times like we'd we'd hooked up a few times like this is several years ago and um yeah, then it kind of we kind of broke it off. I didn't see her again, and uh, someone who clearly had like mental health problems. But then I became this uh, target for that. I got in the crosshairs of the wrong person, basically. But it doesn't feel like like it. I, I I wrote about that for the newspaper, and 
it's it, as I did research for that. It's kind of how rare those stories are actually given any kind of platform. You're given any kind of platform to tell that story because, yeah, it does happen to women a lot more. But it, but you kind of when you say that you're a man who's been through that, it feels like people take it less seriously. It's mm -hmm. kind of oh, you should be like flattered. I, I mean, someone even said oh, you should be like flattered or something. And it's like yeah, but you don't really understand what this entailed. Uh, how did that feel when that person said that? Uh, again, it just felt like. You would, I just didn't feel like they would say that if, if a woman said they'd had a stalker and you know lots of women do have stalkers lots of women a few of my friends of mine have had, had stalkers and it's horrible experience but I don't feel like they would say that they, I don't feel like they'd be so flippant about it and I think again like I've never been again a victim of domestic I've never been a victim of domestic violence but I have met men who have before who, who have suffered violence at the hands of a woman and it's a very difficult thing for them to admit publicly because they feel less of a man for doing so and also because the reaction they get from other people is often treats them as less of a man for 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 having let themselves let like as they would put would see it having let them that happen to themselves mm -hmm. my my fiance does martial arts should have me <laughs> like I, luckily she's you know not violent but you know i don't mean to make light of the situation but you know and so that's the helpful manosphere side and then obviously it can become quite extreme and, and, and is incels where it leads to and then i'm always hearing different accounts like oh, well, oh incels are very dangerous and then other people saying like no that's actually misconstrued and the the data shows that very few lead to like the school shootings and things like that what what's your take yeah i mean with so i mean if you go back to so so kind of the start the beginning of the narrative of my book is it, it's not really pig up is a part of it but it's also kind of there's like Robert Bly and the mythopoetic men's movement and like men coming together um, and kind of getting in touch with those kind of traditional male archetypes and stuff, which is similar to Jordan, what Jordan Peterson talks about now. Um, but you also had like in the 90s and 2000s, you had the kind of early pickup artist movement getting together on the internet. And some of that was relatively benign. It was like how to approach someone in a coffee shop without just being either super needy or just being weird or creepy. Um, just kind of which to me is kind of the self-help aspect of that like there was there was aspects of it like sort your fitness out mm. make yourself a better prospect for the person you're going to be dating sort your finances out get a better place to live get better clothes um you know have something to say in a conversation that's not just like an interview style question with someone you you meet in a bar or something so it's not just oh you know what's your name what do you do for a job where do you live blah, blah. and it's just like this boring have something slightly left field to say i don't think that was necessarily bad but the thing what came with that was this often this very um regressive view of like gender roles uh based on some of it on kind of a bastardized version of evolutionary psychology where it's like women are like this men are like this and uh you know if you press these bu button if you say these specific things it's like a woman is like a piece of compu computer software she will automatically like you wow. and <laughs> yeah i mean th there was there was kind of this misogynistic undercurrent to a lot of that stuff yes. um and also treating women and is is very objectifying um not necessarily in the traditional sense but it's objectifying in the you treat women at a bar as just sets. It's like you have this very militarized language. Uh, you treat women as just like, I'm gonna approach these women and the feedback, they'll give me feedback, then I'll adjust my game. You're not really seeing them as human beings anymore. And I think some of that then led into these the, the red pill stuff and the men going their own way. They were like, oh, the pickup stuff doesn't work, but they still took on the old view of women as kind of um, not quite equal to men, basically. Mm. Is that and what it means to be red pilled? 
Yeah, I mean, to me, being red pilled, yeah. So, so to be red pilled in in these communities, it means like like in the matrix, like you've taken the red pill and you've seen the world for how it really is, and you've seen how the truth of the world, you've seen the truth of female nature and how women really are, which is basically according to the red pill, it's like women are superficial, uh, hypergamous, so they just go after the high, most high status guy. Mm. They're ruthless. Uh, they'll screw you over unless you uh, unless you do all of these things and have red pill awareness. Some of that's true of both sexes, isn't it? Yeah. This idea that men don't also go for the best possible woman. Like, what, what does that even mean? Like, of course we all do. We, you know, we all go for whoever we like the most. That's just life. Yeah, and there's a, there's a huge amount of hypocrisy as well around, you know. Um, so, so men are allowed to spin plates and sleep around. And a lot of these guys were in pickup as well. So they're teaching men mm. that you should go out and have as much promiscuous uh, sex as possible. And then, when, when, and yeah, at the same time, they're... they're really concerned about what a woman's body count is so if a woman Ugh. slept around a bit it's like oh she's ruined uh she's been run through and they'll cite these kind of pseudoscientific studies to say that oh the woman can't pair bond anymore which is you know a woman can't form an emotional attachment to someone anymore um, and you know i like with some of this stuff you there's an element of you want to you want to be realistic about dating so when again when i first uh started to get dates i would be quite naive about things so you know i'd be um, I kind of fall in love with someone very quickly, um, do all these, make these like kind of cheesy romantic gestures. Mm. I did uh, Yeah, and then 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 find out the 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 girl, the woman I'm kind of doing this stuff, like ha having this interaction with. She's already sleeping with this guy who's kind of a dick yeah. from from like you know from college or something. Yeah, and then you you kind of realize, all right, now I need to be maybe not be a dick, but ha you need to have a bit of edge to your personality. You can't just be this kind of pushover, this kind of nice guy. And you have to understand that you don't want to put women on a pedestal because, you know, they're human. But but that's not from a position of, uh, not from a position of being like a misogynist, but from the position that they're also human beings like us. You know, I'm superficial in some ways. I'm selfish in some ways. Like you said, I want to meet someone who's the best prospect for me. Um, and women have every right to be like that as well. So, you know, you shouldn't get butt hurt when someone's like that. You should just kind of recognize it for what it is that you're not owed anything as a as a man or a woman. You're not owed anything and you shouldn't be entitled. You know, you, you should recognize that other people have their own self-interest as well. Yeah, that was so, that was something I had to, I had to learn myself. That was, oh yeah, these outlandish gestures when I was like 18, 17, like if I met a girl, I'd do all these things. And I didn't realize at the time that's putting a lot of pressure on them. And it's like a really entitled thing to do. So now to me, it's a bit of a red flag if I see a guy who just only does these huge gestures all the time. And it's like, yeah, but what are you expecting back from that? And what kind of pressure are you putting on the other person? Yeah, exactly. And it's 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 it goes back to kind of the, the, the Madonna whore complex. It's like this, um, so f where feminists have this have this kind of idea that men, often men have this this view of women, they put them in the like, she's either a slut or a princess yeah. or like a Madonna or a whore. Uh, and it's like, they'll they'll treat, you know, they'll idealize some women and treat them almost as, as, as beyond human beings, put them on a pedestal. Mm -hmm. um, and you have to realize that, and then, then when that woman, you know, is just, behaves in a human way they're just like bitterly disappointed and will just like lash out and there's this resentment that like, oh, all these women are like this and it's like no you know everyone's different mm. um you know we're all human beings and and you can't just put people on a pedestal like that and you, if you do you will be disappointed and i also think you know 
this this like yeah when i when i first like was was not having any success in this not having any success at all in in the area of dating i would um i'd be kind of very needy mm. um very kind of compliant very um and not very assertive you know and like the, the with the red pill stuff there is a there is some of that stuff which is like like you shouldn't be putting people on a pedestal you should kind of um you should have boundaries you should have self-respect you shouldn't let like a woman treat you badly uh because you feel like you haven't got any other options you should kind of put yourself out there and meet people and have different options before you actually make a decision decision over who's right for you you shouldn't be a pushover yeah basically um, human but, psychology though, isn't it? yeah yeah you but you you don't need like the red pill to to, to learn that i think it's um I don't think you need to see women as like the enemy to 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 come to those conclusions. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that is. I mean, just Groucho Marx. I think like I'd never be a, a member of a club that would have me as a member or something like that. I think there is a real human. Like the more someone wants to be your friend, you start to go. But why would you want to be my friend? Maybe you don't value yourself that highly, and that means you don't value the person who is who is showering you with gifts. You're like, well, they can't be that great if they're so needy and they're like. Yeah. Up why to did me. they? Why did they need this to work so badly? Like, yeah. what does that say about them? Why Whereas if someone's a bit more nonchalant, um, it's like, well, people have, they are, they obviously don't need it to work. They have, obviously other people find, find them attractive. So they don't need to, I'm not their only option, which is kind of an unattractive thing. And I think with, with, with the red pill stuff, what happens with some of these people is they, they pursue the pickup stuff. They get into a lot of this stuff now is about status, like presenting like a high status lifestyle on Instagram. It's partly what like the Andrew Tate stuff is about. Mm. They what they do is they 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 present this themselves in this certain way. So they they rent out the Lamborghini, they rent out the Bugatti, and get these photo shoots done with it. They get photo shoots shoots so it looks like they're in a private jet. They present this image of themselves that's not really real, and because of that, they attract a certain type of woman. And then when they this woman realizes they don't actually have this stuff, she then leaves them, and then they say, "Oh, all women are like this," yeah. but they don't realize that they're they're. they're they're select they're self-selecting from a very particular type of demographic both male and female of people who are only uh attracted to them only wanting to be around them because of these superficial things so it's like they they you know they they think they've escaped the matrix because they've because they're presenting this lifestyle and then it's like famous people say they 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 get rich they get famous and then all these people come out the woodwork who suddenly want to be their friend and then they they can adopt this very negative view of what people are actually like, but it's not actually what people are like. It's just the people you're attracting because of what you're putting out there. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah no, it absolutely does. It absolutely, and I know people like that who are doing exactly that kind of thing. It always seems, um, I guess, a bit pathetic the whole like faking Bugattis and Lamborghinis and stuff. But I suddenly just for the first time right now, when you were describing it, I felt like, oh, I want to go and fake having a Lamborghini and take a photo. <laughs> I've never had that feeling before. I just quite fancy it. Maybe because we're in this sort of like nice surrounding now, I feel like, oh, let's go and pretend we're on a private jet. But to what end? To what end? So um, I've got one more question to ask you. But first, tell us where we can get your stuff. Uh, so you can find me on Substack. It's jamesbloodworth.com. That's my Substack. On Twitter, I'm on j underscore bloodworth. Uh, it's actually X now, not Twitter, but j underscore bloodworth. Instagram, james.bloodworth. Uh, my book, Hired, is in is in most bookshops, Waterstones, Amazon. Um, and my next book will be 
out the early 2025 so it seems like quite a long time like it's just over a year's time basically but yeah, yeah. these things have a look publishing has a long like lead time yeah yeah my book is like two it was like two and a half years it was mad how long and it's like yeah i feel like god i've been telling people about it for years and it still isn't out yet but it's mad but people please do go and, and check out that uh well all of what james said we're going to put it in the links hired is a brilliant book we spoke about that before and i'm going to ask you some questions or one or two questions about that over on locals my locals link will be down below as well where people can ask questions to the guests um who's a heretic you admire uh i mean it's going to be perhaps an obvious one but george orwell is a her heretic i admire um i think partly because he's someone who is always taking his own temperature um i think this is what christopher hitchens said about him so um who's another person another heretic i admire but orwell was always taking his own temperature so he was always interrogating his own prejudices first so in his early books is someone who said made some anti-semitic comments for example um but then he didn't lean into that he kind of he was self-aware enough to kind of interrogate where that stuff came from and then write about it later on in in a like to, to kind of understand where, where those impulses came from instead of just pretending that he was a hundred you know wholly good uh which is something that he kind of um laid into other socialists for for believing that you know if you're on the side of the good and, and never interrogating their own prejudice and stuff i think that's someone who i admire uh, for that because i think even being a, a heretic you can be it can be you can always fetishize that uh, in a way as well and you can kind of s begin to say things which to try and feel superior to other people so i think we've seen this with some kind of conspiracy theorism uh in recent years where you do have people in the in the heretic space who they start off you know question questioning receive wisdom which i think is good um but then you get to a point where you're not questioning your new yeah. favorite favorite sources so you're not really being a heretic at all yeah like having an open mind but not so open that your brain falls out yeah exa exactly and i think it's 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 orwell was someone who took his own temperature so 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 always kind of being self-aware and monitoring where your own prejudices are coming from and testing them against reality all the time yeah i love that self-awareness humility checking your own temperature Thank you, James Bloodworth, for coming on the show, guys. Do give him a big follow on Substack. It's jamesbloodworth.com. Get hold of his book, Hired, about going undercover in low-wage Britain. And please do share this podcast with as many people as you can. Follow me on Locals. Most of the episodes have extra um, bits in video and audio on Locals. AndrewGold.Locals.com, that's where you'll find it. It's the same on Patreon and uh, Apple subscribers where you can also get those extra bits. But do share this podcast far and wide and I'll see you next time. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.